in 2013 to 2017, Mark was the associate senior security consultant and team lead on the penetration testing team. That was for Coal Fire for almost four and a half years. And he then moved on and, and became a lead penetration tester once again for a further three years. Mark was then on the red team at Credit One Bank. And he then is now progressed to a position at Ancora. He started off as a director of offensive security and has since progressed to a senior director of offensive security. Lots to unpack, Mark. Welcome to the show. Did I do your intro about right there, my friend? Yeah, I think that's about right. Good, mate. I'll start where I always start. If you wouldn't mind telling us a bit more about who you are, what you get up to on a day-to-day basis, and what have you been up to professionally, my friend? So yeah, like you said, I'm the senior director of offensive security for Ankura. I run the penetration testing practice there. Yeah, that's my day-to-day is pretty much doing calls, proposals, and sometimes they even make me still be billable. Very good, mate. Look, there's, there's lots to unpack today. And I know, obviously, you've done some pen testing, but you've done some proper plenty of red team engagements for Fortune 500, for casinos, for data centers. So we can get into some of that. We'll get into some threats in the wild. You know, there's some cloud security stuff we can talk about, some social engineering. So some of those things are, are really topical at the minute. And as you're well aware as well, Mark, talking about full chain red teaming is really exciting for a lot of folks as well. But before we get into that, I'm just going to start off um, on another subject about certifications. What's your overall thoughts on certifications when it comes to career progression and career growth? I think certifications are great. I've never worked anywhere that doesn't really like you to get more certifications as you uh, grow in your role. I think it's they're most valuable for people trying to break into penetration testing. You're going to make it onto my desk a lot faster if you have an OSCP or something like that on your resume. I know a lot of people are like, ah, certifications, no, certifications, yes. But it's the world we live in, and a lot of times there's HR filters that'll keep you from getting on my desk if you don't have something like that. Yeah, thanks, Mark. And it is interesting to hear it from your point of view, because for everyone listening, Mark is involved with hiring, has done lots of hiring over the years. It is interesting to hear. I think the exact phrase you used just then was, make it onto my desk a lot quicker. So yeah, even if that's all it does, they are massively worth it. I've got a client at the minute, Mark, that actually wants, and this is quite rare for me, because I'm used to working on pretty senior stuff. But I've got a client at the minute who's looking for someone more, more junior. They just sent me a JD literally last night. And one of the things that I'm looking at when I'm looking on behalf of them is certifications. And I'm looking for quite a lot of certifications in a short space of time because it shows a certain level of passion, determination, aptitude, ability to pick new things up quick. And that's one of the things that this particular client really wants. So I couldn't agree more. I think it's everyone has this constant battle on LinkedIn. Do they matter? Don't they matter? But they certainly can't do any harm, can they, mate? (laughs) No, definitely not. And back in the day, the OSCP was it was street cred. It was extremely uh, guarded by everybody. Like when I worked at Coal Fire, that was something that you were expected to get within six months of being hired. And okay. nobody was helping you. None of the other guys were, were willing to uh, give you any hints or anything if you were taking a test. It was very guarded. <laughs> nobody wanted to be like an MCSE from the 
early 2000s, late 90s. Cool, mate. So have you worked with OSCP? So that's obviously a major one you look for. Is, is there any others that kind of PK your interest at the minute when you're hiring? Uh, the OSCP is a good entry-level one at this point, honestly. Um, beyond that, any offensive security has some pretty strong, difficult tests. Their their material, from from what I've heard, has gotten better than it was when I was taking that. Their, I know their tests are still fairly in the weeds. So their web application cert is pretty strong. Um, I don't honestly pay too much attention to SANS stuff anymore. I took a SANS course back in the day, and it was about three years out of date when I took the the web app one there. So honestly, some of the more practical stuff is what I look for. I think mm. that proves a lot more. Mm. Was it me? Was it me and you, Mark, talking about the PMPT being more practical? Yeah, I learned about that from one of your posts and got into it and looked into it. And I think it's more realistic. I don't think anybody does a pen test in 24 hours. And I think we talked about this in, on LinkedIn as well. I don't think people are writing buffer overflows for pen tests. I, I know I haven't, and I don't know anybody that has. And then you don't expect, you're not expected to return a report within 24 hours after the 24 hour pen test. So I think the idea that they give you a week of testing write the report. And then I think that the cool thing is also the, the the debrief meeting as well. I think that's huge because that's such a huge part of consulting and penetration testing is being able to have that call and explain your findings. I just wonder, Mark, if the, and I don't want to be there, I don't want to bash off sec too much or anything because they've done some great stuff and I know plenty of very good, talented offensive set guys and girls that have got a lot of offset search, yourself included. It's I think they I think overall they're a good cert, cert certification body. But I just wonder if this twenty four hour thing, ten years ago, that was probably quite cool to say that I stayed up all night, I didn't sleep, I ate junk food and uh, got a <laughs> certification. But I think we've all got a little bit more knowledgeable around health and balance and optimizing productivity and, and stuff like that. So maybe a bit dated, eh? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I have a coworker who has been looking at it, one of the guys on my team, and he's messed with it, and it just breaks all the time. The labs break a lot, and he struggles, and you're constantly having somebody else reverting a box that you're working on and and so on. So he gets incredibly frustrated, and I get that. It's also a lot different than there's a lot more people taking it now than there were when I was doing it, so I didn't have those problems. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, I think it, it is a little dated, and, and the idea of just the torturous part of it and saying, look, I was tortured for 24 hours and I still did it. I don't know if that's as meaningful as the actual education you're trying to get. See, I've spoke to another thing about it. I've spoke to while we're on the subject of OSCP uh, over the years, I've spoke to so many people that have just passed. So like they've pinged me on signal and gone, Tom, I've just passed. So I've rang them and had that chat. Congratulations. And it's amazing how the difference between the type of boxes that come up. And I, I've known some people where I'm like, oh, I don't know if that person's going to pass. I don't know if they're ready. And they've flown through it. And then I've known some people that are, 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 are very good and they've not passed. And it's, I think some of it does just depend on what boxes you get, doesn't it? Yeah. And I, what I remember a lot was the recon portion of it was huge. I always used to say those boxes are harder than real life because – FTP on port 58,000. Obviously, it's been like 10 years since I took it, so I don't think I'm letting any cats out of the bag. But there was one that I did that, if I remember, it was an SMTP server that you had to 
inject code into and send an email that would eventually execute this code and get a reverse shot. It was absurd. It was absolutely <laughs> crazy. Something that I would never do. But the creativity was fun. But I was just like, you have got to be kidding me. I would not even look twice at this in real life. If you can remember, did you get all the lab time? or? I think I did 60 days. Yeah. Um, and it was, again, back then it was silly. There was no Active Directory. There was none of that. It was just a lot of Metasploit that then you couldn't use on the test anyway back then. So cool. yeah. It was fun though. It was my, it, there was, it was the only game in town back then. It was the only lab there was. So mm. it was cool mm. having something that you could just cut loose on. Cool. Uh, Mark, for the next question, I appreciate there's probably certain things here you can and can't talk about, but when I see phrases like red team engagements and then the word casino in there, I get quite interested. I get quite excited. I'm sure a lot of the listeners do. The question is, can you tell us some stories about maybe some red team stories about casinos? Quite topical at the minute. Yeah. One of the casinos I did was with a, a guy, Justin Wynn, who's been in the news over the last couple of years. I don't know if you're familiar. He got arrested doing a red team on a courthouse. Him and I did a casino and it was an absolute blast. It was a week on site, come at me, bro, type of scope, whatever you can do. And what it amounted to was, long story short, domain admin on their network <clears throat> and then taking control of their player's card system, their reward system. Mm -hmm. And I went down to the counter and got myself a player's card, went back up to the room, added 20 million points to the player's card, mm -hmm. and then immediately went back down and said, I think I've earned an upgrade. And they're like, oh, yes, you certainly have. Wow, that's amazing. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the same lady I talked to 20 minutes ago, and I would have had to gamble like $10 million in the last 20 minutes during this upgrade. And she didn't notice whatsoever, which then you could convert those points to thousands and thousands of dollars of slot play. Um, so it was a lot of fun. It, we we did that particular one a couple years in a row and and we were able to own them both times, which was mm -hmm. a really good feeling. Because the first time that comes across your desk and it's like, oh, like you know, there's no way. <laughs> like uh, there's just, and yeah. <laughs> By I remember by Friday, the first time we did it, we had zero, like they detected nothing. So we actually kicked off a full Nessa scan just to see, and they still, nothing. They had no idea. So it was crazy. It was not what I was expecting. Yeah, so Danny Ocean did it the hard way. Yeah, exactly, mate. If you're running Nessa scans and still staying stealthy, then yeah, there's some work to do on the blue side. <laughs> Yeah. They were, in their defense, they were concerned about the physical security a lot, like I think mm. most casinos are, and they just didn't pay too much attention to the cyber stuff. But it was fun. Mm. I, I love things like that. Yeah. Mark, do you know what I was thinking? On the, I, I think maybe you didn't give yourself enough credit there because you mentioned you've gone down, you've gone up, you've got 20 million points. There's, there's some serious social engineering there, and I'm imagining there's a certain way uh, to approach and reapproach that desk in a short period of time. So for anyone listening that's into red teaming and looking to sharpen up those social engineering skills that you've clearly got, any thoughts there, mate? Or? Practice. You can practice on people every day. It's, it doesn't have to be malicious. Get yourself a, an upgrade on your flight. Make up a story. My wife does it at the airport. She sits in a bar and a guy tries to buy her a drink and she talks to him and just for fun tries to get him to give her random information. And she's not in IT at all or CyberSec. She just finds it fun. Yeah. You can practice in your everyday life. Just do it. I think a lot of it, would you agree? I think a lot of it is uh, is confidence. I think if you're going in there, it's almost if you go in there confident and you're sure of yourself, I think that's, yeah. a, that, that, that's a lot of it. But, and, and let's say having the, 
having the balls to actually get yeah. <laughs> coffee. It's just, I think that is more of it than people probably realize. Oh yeah. It's, and it's scary no matter what. I don't care who you are or how often you do it. It's still a little nerve wracking. You just never know what you're going to run up against. There's a guy I worked with at Coal Fire that we both started the same day and it was our both of our first time ever doing pen testing. And he, one of his first things he had to do was a vision campaign. And he was so freaking nervous. I, I felt bad for him. He's you know, sitting in the cube next to me, hands are shaking on the phone and just, it wasn't even in person, but he was so scared. And now he is, I believe the COO of socialengineering.com. Oh, wow. So talk about a guy who took something that he was terrified of and just owned it and got after it and made it his. It's incredible. So yeah, practice. Yeah, definitely. I think like you say, exercising that muscle and remembering for, for everyone listening, like the first time you do something, unless you're very lucky, you, you're probably not going to be very good at it. And I can relate to some of the stuff you say in there, Mark. It's like the, you know, you start recruitment the first time you ring anyone in a senior capacity you are absolutely petrified. And then it only takes someone to look over at you and go, it's just another person. They're just another human yeah. being. And, and then you do it a few times and you have a few good calls. And yes, some are good, some are bad, but it's exercising that muscle and, and just keeping these key things in mind. But yeah, cool. Just a quick one as well. You said the scope was come at me, bro. That's like the dream yeah. scope. <laughs> is it especially for the guys and girls listening now that are, if they're doing a lot of web app stuff and, and stuff like that and, Obviously, this is in, that is out. There's, things, there's lots of things that you can and can't do on a, a on a web app pen test. I bet that was a nice feeling when you see that, yeah, come at me on the, on the scope pretty much. Yeah, it was great. It, it definitely opened a lot of doors for us. And of course, social engineering did lead to that. It started with a, a phishing email, and that's how we ended up with domain admins. That's And then, of course, the next year, the poor people, one of the things we recommended was, of course, multi-factor authentication. And so the next year, we sent a phishing email. And it asked, when we tried to VPN in, it asked for the MFA. And so we just called the lady and said, hey, this is Mark from IT. I'm going to send you a push to your phone. Can you uh, go ahead and approve that? And she said, sure. <laughs> so, yeah. So, oops, okay. My recommendation didn't quite pay off from last year, but it's you know, a step in the right direction. Like you say, social engineering, if there's sharp social engineers out there, it's, it's a tough one to defend against, isn't it? It's, um, it really is. Yeah. Some of those, some of the folks, I'm definitely no expert at it, but the folks that are, whew, it's a, uh, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, cool, Mark. Well, just I know we've kind of talked about OS OCP. I know you've got OSWP as well. Is there anything? Is there anything about that certification? Anyone that's maybe just about to take it, preparing for it, or if they've got OSWP on the horizon, any tips or hints there? Or honestly, there's only so many ways to skin that particular cat. It's a lot easier of a of an undertaking than OSCP was. It, wireless stuff becomes muscle memory after you do it 10, 15 times. And that's pretty much all there is. When I took that, not to make myself sound bad, but it was because Coal Fire was offering like 500 bucks for every cert you got. So a bunch of us tried to find the easiest possible certs we could find. Uh, okay. I think I passed that one in about 20 minutes. So it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't hard. But I do remember like VPNing in and they had all of these access points available. And they had these you know, specific instructions, do not attack anything but these access points because they were like their neighbors or their, oh, okay. other people in the office <laughs> park. It was so like, so prehistoric. It was funny. But yeah, it's pretty easy. Like I said, just learn that material and, and there's no real gotchas like in the OSCP at all. Cool. And about 10 minutes ago, Mike, you mentioned about SANS not being 
of top priority to you at all. I'm really, obviously, you're someone that hires within the industry, so I'm really interested to hear your thoughts and opinions on why Sands doesn't really get you going in any way. I was just my own personal experience okay. just because it was very outdated when I took it. It was, and I took it in person. It wasn't like a self-study thing, um, but it was a web app one and the attacks were just five years old at the time. So it just wasn't worth it. I think that that's something for offensive security. I've heard that their web app stuff is outstanding and they have an entry level one now as well as the kind of pro one that I've heard is great training. So I, I think I I think they update their material more than SANS does. I did one one course that SANS does offer that I took outside of SANS. The guy does it on the side and and for SANS. And it was it was called Covert Entry Concepts. And that was 100% physical stuff, the lock picking. And I got pepper sprayed in that class. It was fantastic. It was a great course. That company, his name's Rob Pinger. And I think his company was the core group. And it was great training. It was like 500 bucks and it was like three or four days. It was fantastic. Mm. But he does it for Sands. And of course, when it's Sands, it's five grand. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, I've heard some good things about Sands. But one thing that I do consistently hear is like, that price point is heavy. It's a serious price point, isn't it? <laughs> but if you've got an employer that pays for them, then that's probably the time, like you did with with Coal Fire, that's the time to, to really put your foot down and and get some, isn't it? Saves you a fortune. Yeah, I think again, though, for two grand, I'd rather my guys do the offset stuff or it's more practical. Yeah. I don't remember there being, but like basic labs in the sand stuff. Mm. I've said, I've heard, I've said this on other other episodes, but I'll say it again in case people haven't heard those episodes. One chap I spoke to who'd got OSCP, he'd done the PNPT practical to pass the OSCP certification. And he said it was a really good combination with OSCP probably still being the biggest kind of HR buster, if you like, and TCM security having their game so sharp. That's probably quite a clever combo comparing those, uh, combining those two. Yeah. And it's my understanding, or at least it used to be, again, forgive me, I'm old. The OSCP (laughs) used to be able to, if you had the OSCP, you could directly like just get the Crest cert too. It, it was an equivalent. You could just fill out a form and Crest would give you the cert. You can do that. Yeah, you can do that with two. You can, you know, you're right. Hang on, you're talking. It's been a while since I've worked in the UK market. I used to deal with Crest all the time. But I think you're talking about C, the CPSA and you can, yeah, you can. You're right. I, I know what you're talking about, but I just can't quite connect the dots in my head at the minute. But I do know what you're on about. Um, but in, in the UK, like Crest is just, I mean, it's over. It's in the States now a bit, but it's everywhere in the UK. Yeah, we have a UK office, so I, I hear about it quite a bit. And yeah. mine, of course, yeah. is too out of date to, to do that transfer. But, yeah. but I mean, more letters on the resume never heard anything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're very strict with it in the UK. And um, Mark, look, you've one of the one of the main missions of the pod and the reason it was started and the kind of, uh, yeah, overall vision for it is to really aid people's career progression. You've had lots of it, mate, over the years. You've progressed to director, senior director. If, I, if I'm sat here now listening away, um, maybe I'm a pen tester, maybe I'm a cloud security engineer, maybe I'm a cybersecurity engineer, but I'm sat at maybe mid-level or maybe I'm even a senior, but I'm wanting to push towards director level. Any tips, any advice, anything you know now that you wish you knew four or five years ago? Yeah, I think having an interest in the actual business side of it is number one because you're going to get pulled into all of that 
You're going to start caring about utilization in a different way than you did when you were the, the guy being utilized. Um, you're going to be on more scoping calls. You're going to be dealing with clients way more often. You're going to be assisting sales stuff. So you're going to get pulled away from the technical work in most places pretty quickly. And the business side of it, the admin stuff is going to take up a lot of your time. And also the leadership part, that is not for everybody. It's a strange line to walk. I think that if you were a pen tester or an individual contributor before, that you tend to do a little better than somebody who has never been in that position and is just put into a director role. I think you understand what the needs and what the day-to-day struggles of an individual contributor are. So as a leader, I think you, you need to get in front of those and take those hits for your team. So you have to be prepared for that. Your team's failures are, are not your team's failures, they're your failures. And your team's successes are not your successes, it's they're theirs. So you have to get used to that idea as well. Mm. Mark, did you, I think the, you said something there, it's not for everyone. And knowing whether it is for you or not is massively important because that's going to be intrinsically linked to your happiness levels at work. Did you know fairly early on that it was for you or did that take you a while to work out? When does that kind of click in your mind or when does the clarity in your mind appear around that? Mine started off at a very slow pace going into a more of a leadership role. It was, again, coal fire associate, then consultant, then senior. And of Mm -hmm. course, you have a little bit, but not a whole lot. It's still more technical. And then you become team lead and you're not having people report to you, but you still have some of these outside responsibilities. And so it, it was slow progression for me and at a good pace. I don't think if you go from just individual contributor to having five people report to you that you're going to know until you're there, whether it's for you. I think a lot of folks see it as you're just giving marching orders or delegating. Mm. And that is the least of it. There's Mm. just, there's so much more to it. It's important to, to look after your team. I think that's the most important thing. And I think that's one of the things that gets overlooked a lot. It's, it wasn't me. It was this, it was the junior guy on him. And that's not the way it works. You yell at me and then I say, I should have trained him better. <laughs> you take that hit. Definitely. And you mentioned there about understanding the commercial side. And I think that is such an underrated skill. I think in any form of consulting it is because I know when I think to some of the best clients I've got, when I've taken a real interest over the years in, in the commercial side and I know from conversations I have with leaders, founders, when you can start talking about things above and beyond what they'd expect and uh, different things in relation to how the commercial side of the business runs or we offer solutions where we can keep liabilities off the balance sheet and provide different forms of finance within recruitment and stuff like that. And it's going above and beyond not what they'd expect. So is that kind of what you're getting at? Like the end clients really appreciate you more when you've got that commercial acumen about you and the kind of more senior stakeholders really do they really value you being able to have those conversations yeah i think so there's a difference between talking to somebody who is trying to advise you on what might be best for your current situation rather than the tech guy who's saying i got domain admin on you and that's all i have to say (laughs) there's more value that you're trying to add especially as a consultant everything that i'm saying is, is from a consultant perspective We're there to help them in any way possible. And most consulting firms that you work for, 
if, if you ask me, do you do this? The answer is yes. It's just the way it is. We will find a way and we will find an expert if we don't have one, or we'll make one of the junior guys read a book overnight. <laughs> but yeah, you have to offer that to them. You're there to help them. You're a partner and, and you have to know that stuff. You have to know, you have to empathize with them. Yeah, definitely. Like, like I say, de- definitely don't go, I've got domain, I've got domain admin on you, bro. Yeah. <laughs> probably, yeah. yeah probably not going to go down with a, a non-technical senior stakeholder <laughs> too well. Cool. We were talking before about Kerber roasting, attacking ADs. We spoke about how important this is off air. Can you give the listeners some tips around this? Yeah. So I think there's a million and one tutorials and videos and trainings on Kerber roasting. I'm sure the folks that are listening have read them or done labs or whatever. From a practical standpoint, I can say that one of the mistakes that I see get made when it comes from a, a red team perspective is doing a Hail Mary on the, all the service accounts and just getting after all of them. And I think that's a huge mistake that people make. They don't realize how loud that is and that blue teams are getting smarter and they're creating honeypot service accounts. So you really, my biggest tip to anybody doing this is be very targeted on the service accounts that you get after. Don't go after the low-hanging fruit. Always look at something that that belongs there that you've seen before and go after that account. You're going to get found if you don't. Cool. So be more strategic on the service accounts you you go for. Don't go for everything. Mark, I'm not as technical as you, so I don't know how easy or hard this question is to answer, but I'll ask anyway. How do you spot a honeypot? I guess it depends on who's who's created it. Some are easier than others. Okay. Some accounts are are named in such a stupid way that they're obviously a lure, but usually if it's too good to be true, it is. When that comes to boxes and everything, if it's that easy, I mean, I think anybody who's done an OSCP knows that while this is really easy and you come to the end of the the tunnel and you have some cartoon of a pirate giving you the finger, yep, that was too easy. (laughs) They had their little gotchas in that too. Yeah, I think that's a good phrase. I've heard that a lot in my life. If it seems too good to be true or too easy probably is yeah so yeah cool all right bro yeah anything else on attacking ad's or anything like that sometimes it's best to live off the land i think that's a another important Mm -hmm. thing to remember you don't require a lot of tools one of the guys that was on my team and i were just talking about this today that this kind of goes back to experience and breaking into it's pen testing having an understanding of how active directory works and the the built-in tools that are there will change your life if you don't do that or if, if you don't know already. You know, we're joking that people have domain admin and they're still messing with tools that you don't need to. You have group policy now. You know, if you know how to use that, then that's going to be more valuable than any Python script or PowerShell script, excuse me, that you can find. Learn the actual ins and outs of Active Directory and Windows networking, all, all of these things in general, and you'll see your skill set increase drastically. I think that's a, a, a massive point. And essentially what we're saying here is just don't take shortcuts. It might be tempting to, but just don't take them. And I can really relate this to what another guest said about, I've not released his episode yet, but he, he's like you, Mark. He's a really experienced guy. He's done a lot of red team stuff. And we were talking about ADs and we were talking about Bloodhound. And he said, Tom, so sometimes he was basically saying to me, Sometimes he wonders how many people have actually sat there on GitHub and actually read cover to cover the Bloodhound manual. 
because he said, I've read every single word on that on multiple occasions. And he goes, it's made the world a difference to how he can utilize the tool. And that's what you've just said there. You, you, the, the exact wordings you were, were just make sure you understand exactly how everything works. And it sounds simplistic, but I bet there's a lot of people listening that probably are using stuff and they just don't know how to use it in the optimal way because of those reasons. Yeah, absolutely. And I hear that a lot too on LinkedIn or or with folks, the argument of, can you just jump into cybersecurity or should you have some IT background? And I'm, I guess maybe because I had IT background that I feel like you should. I always tell people, I can teach you to break into a Ferrari and steal it, but if you don't know how to drive a stick, it's not going to do you any good. You have to know how to work the things you're working that you're breaking into or else you're not going to get anywhere. I think there's almost like a bit of controversy these days around if I'm pretty obsessive and I'll listen to like recruitment podcasts and I just love it, mate. I love learning about security. I love learning about recruitment when I'm not working. I'm walking around in the gym with bloody podcasts on and stuff like that. (laughs) I am obsessive, but... I think you have to be. It's certainly at the start. Maybe later on you can get a bit more balanced. But I think if you're right in the throes of your career, I think it's essential. And it's almost probably a bit controversial to say that these days because sometimes people come out and go, and I get burnout's a real thing, and I get that it's that kind of thing has to be watched. But I think you're right, mate. Like if you're really into it and there's a genuine passion there, and you're going to like turn a network upside down, or like you say, learn the ins and outs of how different things work, it, it's got to be highly advantageous hasn't it absolutely i worked with a guy at coal fire he used to call it a jobby you have to want it as your hobby as well you want to go home and you want to keep doing it and it's true i think anybody who got obsessed with computers in general in the early days they were falling asleep on their keyboard at some point and it wasn't <laughs> due to necessity it was just because they loved it so I, I was one of those guys falling asleep on America Online when I was a teenager, and that's what brought me to where I am in my career. And it's just not something you can check out of, especially OFSEC, because it's a constant learn. You have to constantly be learning. It's I'm Since I started doing this, I've gotten dumber. I don't have the technical chops as the guys that are on my team now, and I'm, I'm just a couple years into this, and I'm I feel completely out of date. Yeah, like I say, it moves. It, it it does just move so, so, so quick, definitely. It's a lot about communication and we've talked a bit about leadership and stuff. Any, we made a bit of a joke earlier about it. don't just say to someone you've got domain admin or don't just say you totally got pwned or, or, or whatever. Right. But apart from the kind of the, the, the obvious ones, what, any other tips around communication, any certain things that you've learned that, that when you're dealing with, when you're dealing with your end clients, any particular things that they like or, or don't like that maybe could help the listeners? I think knowing your audience is a huge thing. You're talking to a CEO or the security engineer. You're going to speak to them in two different ways. You're going to show them two different sets of evidence. A CEO doesn't care if you're showing him a terminal screen that says, who am I domain admin? Congratulations. I don't care what that, what does that mean? If not that folks do this, but if you were to show him a, a screenshot of his inbox, then he'll be interested. That to him is a thing. So presenting it, again, knowing your audience, and then also being clear and concise. A lot of folks, we're technical people. We get into the weeds. We're excited about what we're doing, and we want to tell exactly how we did it. And people don't necessarily want to hear every step of the way. They Concise is good sometimes. Um, also being empathetic to the clients. The easiest way for you to be turned into an adversary 
when you're supposed to be a partner is mm -hmm. to do the, we wrecked you kind of attitude. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but I've heard it multiple times on calls. Mm -hmm. I always try to say, I've been on the other side of this table. It sucks, but I'm here to help you. We're, we're partners here. So anyway, I can help you through this. Cool. People appreciate that whether or not they believe it, they appreciate you at least making an effort to, to explain to them that, yeah, you're truly there to help. And then listen to them. Listen to what they have to say. You don't get, it's not personal. People get upset. You automatically, by default, a lot of times pen testers or consultants like that are, are treated as though they're trying to make the client look bad when your client is the security engineer. It's just not the case. Listen to them, hear their objections, hear challenges to your findings, and just present what you found. You, you don't get paid by the vulnerability. It's simply relaying information that you found. Frankly, I don't care one way or the other if I find a ton of stuff or I give them pretty much a souped up template. It's when they're happy if you have a bunch of findings because, hey, look, you found the things that could have caused us a problem. And they're happy if they have a blank report because then they have less work to do. There's just a lot of ways. Empath empathy is probably the most important thing. Just put yourself in their shoes and view it from their perspective and probably a long way with that. Definitely, man. Because like I said, you... You want them coming back. It's all about it's all about relationships. I, I know again from recruitment is essentially a consulting business and I just know it's just all about it's all about relationships at the end of the day. And if you build them and you build them right, it stands you in good stead. We have a saying in recruitment, Mark, that your network is your sorry, your net worth is your network. It really is true. And if you keep that in mind and take a long term approach, it really does pay dividends in the long run. I just wanna I just wanna really dive into to, to something you said right at the start of the of your answer to that question, which was know your audience, because I've heard that time and time again from guests, and I think it's such a valid point, and I think it's so important, and I've never really dug in much deeper than that, but I was just making a few notes as you were speaking then, and it's knowing your audience. Like I'm thinking about the internal politics on the other side of the on the client side. If there's someone that's just started, that's recently signed off a budget on an EDR, or what's the relationship? Who made the decision on that EDR? Who controls what? And there's probably I don't know. Like you're more better than me, Mark, but there's probably twelve, fifteen like probing questions that you could ask around around that to, to really actually work out what is going on that client side because they could be massive factors in how you deliver certain findings, couldn't they? Which could be really impactful on the on that relationship. Does, does that make sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I worked in a private company as doing some of their pen test stuff. And it was an internal pen test job, but I never did a pen test the entire time I was there because the director of IT just wouldn't allow it simply because of the politics and this is going to end up on somebody's desk in this thing. So yeah, there, there's a lot of that. Again, it's funny. I, I, one of my team members and I were talking about this today as well. You don't know who you're talking to. You don't know who you need to talk to. A lot of times when we scope an API pen test, that's so difficult to get the right person on the phone who actually knows what we're supposed to be testing and knows mm. how they want it tested and everything. And it's eight days into the five-day test, you finally talk to this person. It's, it is difficult on the other end to know the inner workings of a company that you only, work, you only get the, the privilege of working with for a couple of weeks. I think that's the other thing as well. It's, that's why the relationship is so important because when you've worked with someone for ages, it, it, they trust them, you trust them, they trust you. It gets easy. Same on recruitment. Like when there's, when it, Very rarely do you meet a client and just everything's perfect in the first few weeks. It just 
never really happens like that. But when you've got clients that you work with for years, and, and it's, if I just talk about it, it's like, same again, Tom, it's yeah, wicked. I know what you want. I know what you like. I know what you don't like. It just gets real. And I'm sure it's the same for you, Mark. It just gets so much easy when you're easier, even when you've worked together for, for a while. But Mark, would you have any form of template or I know there'll be some personalization involved and I think that's really important in this day and age with so much automation and AI AI flying around but would you have any sort of template to extract the correct information out of anyone? We have scoping documents that I've created and they're good enough for usually internal external wireless social engineering type stuff but when you get into web apps and APIs it's usually at least a, a phone call um it's just, it's too difficult to put all the questions on paper and get everything answered because of course the answers to the questions that you put on paper require follow-up questions that you didn't know you needed to ask. So, so yeah, I've actually reached out to a couple of former coworkers and be like, how do you scope APIs? What is your process? <laughs> because I'm just curious because it's just a bear and it's nice to hear everybody say, yeah, they suck. I don't know how, like we, we just roll with it every time. So I'm glad I'm not the only one. You know what, they might, even just that, even just having the confidence to actually just go, listen, how do you, that, that in itself, though, is pretty major because how many people that are listening now are sat there worried about it or not doing it as well as they could because that, that question hasn't been asked? I think it's a massive point. I might actually do a LinkedIn post on that later and see what reactions we get. That could be good. Yeah, I'll just, yeah, just go for an API. I'm writing it down now. I just go for an API pen test, definitely, because uh, I've not posted yet today. So thank you, mate. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah. Another thing as well, um, the guys at Gotham Security, Travis and Christian, they do something called Cyber Judo, and they've put all their scoping docs. They put everything. It's, your, it's a community-led thing. They've put it all on their website. So for anyone listening and for yourself as well, Mark, feel free to check it out. Cyber Judo, it's worth having a look. There might be some little nuggets on there for for people listening and for yourself yeah worth having a look i think as well mark i know from talking to a lot of guys and girls all day every day one of the biggest frustrations is vulnerabilities not not getting fixed and all the stuff we're talking about now if that's executed well i know for a fact it's going to improve the rate of knots that vulnerabilities get fixed at so for anyone that thinks that this is a bit boring and they want to get back onto popping shells or moving laterally through systems, please listen because when your vulnerabilities are fixed, I know you're happier because I know so many of the calls I'm getting are, I want to move because this, I want to move because they're not fixing this, no one cares and I found this. And and it's, yes, it probably is the end client's fault sometimes, but I'm sure there's always more that can be done on on this side to, to improve that. Would you agree with that? Yeah, over my career, we've pushed and tried different ways. A lot of times I've done compliance. Like at Coalfire, it was a lot of compliance, and we'd have the same client four years straight. And four years straight, we'd have the same vulnerabilities. And it just, it, it, it was as long as it met the compliance requirement, then it wasn't worth looking at a lot of times. And no matter how many times we demonstrated, hey, look, we can do this thing with this vulnerability, yeah, but is it going to affect our rock? No? Okay, cool. You know, and then next year, same thing. Next year, same thing. I think demonstrating what the actual risk is and what the actual impact could be is sometimes helpful. Screenshots, actually doing something, exploiting something, not just writing down, hey, this is a medium vulnerability. You should fix that. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have as much 
oomph as actually showing what could happen. I was going to say, I remember doing hospitals. And whenever I got a hospital on my desk, it was always like, oh, God, this is going to be two days of reporting because they were just terrible. And we would find information and we'd show that and they'd be like, oh, that sucks. And they just didn't really care that much. And so then it was like, what if we show them that we could change a chart? We could remove a penicillin allergy and then prescribe penicillin. Would that make them care? Obviously, we wouldn't do that. But it's like one of those things, like what is going to be the the aha moment when it comes to vulnerability that will make them want to fix it? I really like that because that what we're talking about now is hacker mindset, basically. And I think it's vital. I won't name them, but I was having an offline conversation with, with someone. She's very senior in a company based in North America. And one of their pen testers, they could do something with a chatbot. Uh, and I don't know whether the end client was really receptive. Maybe they weren't. But they changed that chatbot to Hitler on the actual thing. Yeah. And that made oh. the client. Yeah. So the client was like, whoa. And it, it got the reaction that they wanted. And they were able to get the vulnerability fixed. And it was great. And that's what you're saying. It's If you can either articulate it in a way or you can show examples like obviously for a doctor or a nurse like changing someone's prescription like their duty of care and what they're passionate about is keeping people alive and healthy and they get to know their patients it's really tapping into to to what is going to click with people isn't it and having that kind of hacker mindset i really like that because i think i can see straight away how that works like it just there's no two ways about it you are going to get increased engagement from your end clients like that aren't you Oh, definitely. I really like and, and yeah, just another thing as well, Mark, is I really like what you said about, you mentioned you were doing a lot of uh, compliance or PCI DSS stuff. Again, it goes back to knowing your audience. If it is just a compliance test, you probably don't want to be allocating like lots and lots of your energy and time to trying to convince them to fix everything because you're just going to get burnt out, frustrated, annoyed, and probably get nowhere. So I think knowing your audience would enable you to pick your battles wisely and know where and when to really go in, go for it and try and get everything fixed or try and get the minimum fixed. It's that, that makes a lot of sense as well. It's an uphill battle sometimes with that too. I've done PCI tests where we find a bunch of vulnerabilities and then two days later they say hey they're all remediated check it again and it's there's no way in two days and you go to check it again and you realize they've just put acls in place so you can't see anything from your endpoint so like eh, whatever yeah. <laughs> you know what are you gonna do fight with them so yeah yeah okay. part of the yeah. game i guess yeah exactly like i say it's never gonna be yeah uh, i suppose it's never gonna be perfect mark look web app's huge Obviously, the prevalence of web apps is everywhere. Any tips in all the years you've been in the game in terms of uh, enhancing, refining, improving web app pen testing skills? Just education, constant education. Just in the years that I've been doing this, the amount of platforms and different frameworks, it's insane. There's just so much. I don't know how anybody does it. I'm not a web app guy, but I know like folks like like Bishop Fox, for example, I know they have some great web app folks. They eat, sleep, and breathe it. We had a guy once at a place I worked who literally printed out code and read it in bed to go to sleep. I'm saying, you've got to get a life, man. <laughs> that's the passion, right? I, I guess that's what it comes down to. I know like API Academy is a great resource now. I don't know if you're familiar with them. 
a lot of free free education there. Just again, keeping up. It's a constant nose in a book situation. API Academy. I'm just making a note of that. So for the listeners, we'll we will put these in the in the show notes. Mark, I'll reach out to you after the show and get the exact links so we okay. don't make any mistakes. Like I said, there's lots of good ones. Have, have you used hat tricks before, Mark? Use what? I'm sorry. Hack tricks. It's by a European guy. Yeah, yeah. Hack, for for everyone listening, in mainland Europe, like a lot of pen testers have, have heard of it. But a chap called Carlos Pollop, and he's Spanish, and yeah, it's called Hack Tricks. Um, but he's got some really really cool stuff on there. Um, yeah, let's like say in Europe, it's like household name like within offensive set but uh in in the us not everyone's familiar with it so definitely worth mentioning for the listeners and yeah if you haven't had a look mate definitely uh, you're probably about to lose about half a day of your life mate now by the way well you're probably about to lose about a week of it <laughs> i'm already reading it i'm already looking at it <laughs> no mate, it's really cool you'll um really like what he does and he's got quite a presence now on social because of that it's uh, it's really good so for yeah for everyone listening hack tricks black oh, wow. uh, this, this is great oh it's cool mate it's cool as i was gonna swear then but i won't it's very cool <laughs> it's uh from memory it's a black background with red writing is that correct you're looking at the screen yeah, yeah black bright red red logo very cool I don't know Carlos personally, but I know a lot of people in Europe that do know him and they speak very highly of him as well. So yeah, nice guy and very good content. I might even do another post about that now. That now I've got three ideas for posts now for, for tonight, Mark. Thank you, bro. Yeah, there's a lot of information on here. It's a lot of good stuff. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll yeah. definitely lose some time on this. All right, bro. On the learning resources that you've discovered over the where would you say – um, where would you say you've had the most gains over the years in terms of online resource? I think there's a couple. I guess your typical learning resource that we've discussed as far as certs, things like that. And then I think that teaches the technical. And not to say hack the box is not technical. I think that teaches you how to be a hacker. I think those boxes are not standard. I think they require creativity and some outside the box thinking. And I think that's what makes those super valuable. Um, I don't know that I would go to hack the box to learn technical skills, which is sounds weird, but mm. what I've always taken from that is, is the, the fact that you're gonna, it's not just gonna be click this thing, type this thing, do this thing. Hey, look, you win. It's a lot more of a roundabout process and it's gonna make you better beyond the technical skills. So. I think there's the, the technical training and then there's the, the hacker mindset training, as you put it. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard one to learn. I, th- I feel like that's harder to learn than the technical. I think it is. It, the, the, that same conversation I was having, she was basically saying, what, 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 what we're doing is we're organizing a, we're organizing like a roundtable virtual event whereby I'm going to introduce her company to some senior chaps that i know of that i've already got that hacker mindset and that's how we're gonna we're gonna do that and if mark if that's something you ever want me to do for your team by the way i'd happily do it for you bro because i i agree i think it's i think it's a really tough one just to sit open your laptop type something in and learn it i think you need to really tap into people's knowledge like yours like other people that are at a senior level and really tap into real life experience and extract that mindset as best as possible because you're not going to learn that on Port Swigger Web Academy or Hat the Box, are you? <laughs> right. So, so, yeah, cool. Question that I always like to ask is 
book or podcast that's had the biggest, most positive effect on your security career so far? Oh, security career. Um, it could be career, or maybe both, mate. Maybe we'll turn this into two questions. <laughs> so the this, the pen test book, I, I would say it sounds so dumb, but the first book I ever cracked on this subject was called, I don't know if you're familiar with it, Hacking Exposed, first edition. Cool. It was from the 90s, and it was a, the first time that I saw a book that explained these things. And you're talking like NT4 exploits and things like that. And it was a phone book. It was massive and it had all this stuff that was mostly out of date, but it was fantastic. And it, it definitely uh, piqued my interest in the entire industry and pen testing didn't become a thing for another 10 years after that. But that was the thing that, that got my mind going. And yeah, like the literally, it's like the web app. Is it thicker than the web application hackers handbook? Is it thicker than it, that? It was about like that. They, they came out with several editions, but it, it just couldn't keep up, I think. Yeah, because that one, so is it that, that web application hackers handbook, that was like literally like one of the first books I ever properly picked up. And I was like, that was such a heavy place to start. I was like, every other word I was like Googling, what's that mean? What's that mean? What's that mean? It's, like, it's good though. It's good. Oh, yeah, it's on the shelf. <laughs> cool, mate. So sorry, that was hacking exposed, yeah? Yeah, that was, again, this is from like the late 90s. I think. Cool, mate, cool. And is a lot of the info in there still applicable? Or? Oh, not at all, no. Okay, okay, cool, okay. <laughs> Definitely not. It was just the one that influenced my life. Okay, okay, uh, when right. When it comes to the career stuff. Cool. Oh, were you going to mention another book then? No, I was going to say as far as when it comes to where I'm at now, it's there's books that have helped me through that. There was one that... It was one of those kind of uh, leadership style books, but it was different. It was pretty much the entire premise of the book was just trust your people. They're there. They're, whether you inherited them or whether you hired them yourself, they're there because they have a skill set that's important to the, to the company or the, the organization as a whole. And you need to trust them to be able to do what they do and let them do it. And it's cool. It was a good book. It was written by a guy who was like a captain of a Navy submarine. Okay. And and this was his, I guess, his thing. Hey, you've been on sonar for twenty years. What? Why do you think? Why would I think I know more about sonar than you do? You do your thing, and you tell me what you're going to do. Cool. So yeah, it was called Turn the Ship Around. It was a great book. It was a little repetitive, but it was good. Mm, I think cool. you you get the gist of it in three paragraphs. You can read the whole thing if you want. Yeah, <laughs> the thing is, mate. I think sometimes, mate, it's like we need these things re reinforcing and i've this one book i really like i've, I've probably mentioned it before because i love this book it's called the slight edge by jeff oslin and it's basically i can like you just did there i can explain what it's all about it's basically the compound effect of just doing the right things a little bit each day and it's basically saying it's very easy not to do certain things and it's very easy to do them so probably quite easy just to watch like a youtube video for five or ten minutes every day but if you did that for two or three years in whichever niche specialism you did it in, you'd have a lot more knowledge. And it's, that's the premise of the book. But I find I've read it on multiple occasions and I feel like every time I've got something from it, it's, I think that reinforcement can be really good sometimes. But uh, yeah, cool. I'll get the full, uh, I'll get the full titles and authors off you, bro, after the, after the show. Mark, I'll tell you what, an hour goes quick, mate, when you get chatting, doesn't it? I can't, yeah. <laughs> I want to ask you about mentors. I, again, I've said this before, and I've, I won't apologize for saying it again. I just think in a remote environment, especially, I think mentors are huge. 
I heard a famous motivational speaker. I know some people are into this. Some people, I think it might have been Tony Robbins, but he was saying, look, you've got to be acutely aware of who you're modeling yourself on. And I think, I just think mentors and stuff can just be game changing. Have you had mentors over the years? Who have your mentors been? Any tips and hints for people listening in terms of acquiring one and, and stuff like that? Yeah, I've had several over the years, whether they're technical, whether they're just people who guide your career or people that help you in specific areas. Like right now, Gretchen Ruck, who you had on, is a mentor for me. She's been helping me a lot through navigating this jump from individual contributor, technical guy to doing more of the director stuff. Um, And she's been amazing. She's been generous with her time and she's an absolute blast to learn from as you probably well know. I do. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I've even had people who were ranked air quotes below me at places that I considered mentors to me is I, I interviewed Justin uh, at coal fire and he is passed me by leaps and bounds when it comes to physical security. If I ever have a physical security question, he's my guy. He's, I would, I want to be like Justin when I grow up when it comes to that. So it's not always one person that's going to give you all of the guidance and all the advice that you need for a catch-all. There's going to be people, I think, in different aspects of your career um, that will complement that and help you navigate those things. So as far as getting one, you're going to know. You're going to know when you find the person. It's funny, over the years, I've mentored a few people, but you know how it is in this industry too. Everybody wants to be in it. And they say, how can I do what you do? How can I be a pen tester? How can I do whatever? And then you tell them what you need to do and, and what you need to learn. And then you never hear from them again. <laughs> so there's sometimes it's hard to find somebody to mentor because it's just, it's a lot. Oh, maybe if, if anyone does want to reach out to you and stuff on LinkedIn, stuff like that, is that, is that cool? Yeah. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. That'd be great. And yeah. And Gretchen, yeah. Mutual friend of ours and, yeah, just like the master of getting budget signed off with insecurity and stuff like that. Like, she's a great mentor to have. I can see that. And yeah, I've had multiple conversations with her and she's uh, she's a wicked woman and she's such a character as well, isn't she? She's great. Absolutely. Yeah, she's great. I love her. She's wonderful. Yeah, I think. And uh, just a couple of things you said there as well is that you mentioned like learning from people that are more, uh, you interviewed Justin. And I, I think as well, you just said that quite casually but I think it's a good thing to just to stop on for a second because so many people would look at someone that they're interviewing and, and that they, they could maybe just bypass the fact that there's learnings to be gained there and I think having that attitude of you can literally learn something from everyone is massive and uh, yeah Mark you touched upon it then but so much of it's I think so much of it is hard work as well it's a massive part of it grind discipline I just think as well I've seen over the years from different hiring I've done is when I've been in a few really long processes before and had clients engaged and partnerships for long periods of time. So I've seen candidates come in that haven't been good enough, but they've been so determined um, to get into a particular company or learn different skill sets. And I've kept in touch with them. And like we've been speaking on the weekend on signal and stuff like that. And they've actually got there and they've improved and the difference I've seen has been incredible. And I think so much of it can be down to, to mindset. Do you follow boxing at all? I'm going a bit off topic here, but did you watch the fight with Fury and Ngannou over the weekend? I did. 
Yeah, and I just think so much of that. Like that guy has obviously never professionally boxed before, but he's obviously just gone in there with a certain mindset, huge level of levels of discipline, lots of hard work. And when I see certain things into certain sports like boxing, I, I do think you can relate it so much to your career progression because there's so many kind of transferable skills there, I and mean, it just shows you that. So much is possible when you really, really want it. And it's, yeah, it was an interesting fight, that wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's heavyweight boxing is so strange to me now because they used to be like in such perfect shape and just ripped guys. And now it's just like the biggest British dude you can find punching people out. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. My wife I want Mike Tyson to fight him. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, it would. It's good. Listen, I, I would have, I, I would have loved, I've never done boxing, but I would have loved to have. Uh, too old to start now probably but yeah i would have loved to got into that sport because it's yeah it's a hell of a sport but uh, yeah. Mark, listen it's been mate it's been really re- re- really good mate thanks for thanks for really unpacking things and mate if it, i know there's lots of people out there that want a mentor so if you're open to that on linkedin that would be that would be great mate yeah it's been it's been really good chatting to you mate is there any, anything that we anything else we should have covered mate that we haven't or do you think we're cool or your show, my friend. Your show. <laughs> Thank you, mate. Mark, I'm going to say bye to you now, but I'll edit this bit out, but stay on the line because I just need to let the record process. But Mark, thank you for your time, my friend. It's been really good. Lots of learnings there for the listeners, and I'm sure we'll speak again soon, bro. I hope I didn't ramble too much. Sorry. No, not at all, mate. Cheers, Mark. <laughs> all right, buddy. Thank you.